Amen. Thank you, ladies. I think everything about the service today has been intentional from the Lord to prepare our hearts for the truth He has for us today from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to be wrapping up the second chapter of 1 Thessalonians. There are some questions that I receive every single semester, almost without fail. And one of those questions is the question, what was God doing before he created us? How many of you have ever wondered that before? How many of you have ever kind of thought, you know it's not probably theologically correct, but you've maybe thought, surely he was lonely without me. You know, we, so we have thoughts like that. We think perhaps God was bored, perhaps he was lonely, and therefore he created to give himself something to do. But, but really, we understand biblically and theologically that that could not be further from the truth. See, God is a relational God. For all eternity, God has enjoyed inter-Trinitarian fellowship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect, joyful, fulfilling relationship. There's been nothing lacking from the relationship within the Godhead, and when God created us out of the good pleasure of his own will for his glory, he made us to reflect him as relational beings. And we see that truth come out very early in scripture in Genesis 1 verses 26 and 27. It says, and God said, let us make man in our image, and most commentators point out the Trinitarian implications of the plural here. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So God made us for relationship. Relationship with him and relationship with each other. He made us for relationship, but we selfishly rebelled and our relationship with him was broken. He made marriage for one man and one woman for life, for the two of them to become one, but we corrupted it through polygamy, through adultery, through divorce, through gay marriage, and through hookup culture. God made families, but we formed sibling rivalries. Fathers and mothers became harsh or manipulative, and children became dishonoring and disobedient. God made human government, but we believe society itself could replace God. And government became oppressive, and wars happened, and political factions were formed. You see, sin doesn't just cause individual brokenness. It causes relational brokenness. And every one of us feels that in our lives today. But Jesus came to this earth for a very particular purpose of redemption and sacrifice. And he made a way for us to be reconciled to our creator. To be reconciled to the God with whom sin had broken our relationship. But also as a part of this package deal of salvation he came to redeem our relationships with each other and make them so much better than what the world has to offer and i want to just give you a quick proof of that in jesus high priestly prayer in john chapter 17 i want you to notice 
what he indicates. He prays to the Father. He says that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one even as we are one. And in those verses, we have Christ's prayer and his intention for each of us that we will be related to God in a, in a Trinitarian reflection and that we will be related to each other in deep, transcendent kinds of relationships that are fundamentally different from the world's relationships. But what do these kinds of relationships look like? Our text this morning is 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 17 through 20, kind of a wrap-up of chapter 2 and an introduction to chapter 3. These verses can very easily get lost in the shuffle of our interpretation of this beautiful book. But in our text this morning, Paul doesn't just give us, in fact, he doesn't give us any commands about relationships. But what he does is he sets before us an example of his relationship with the Thessalonians. It's truly beautiful, and I believe it's transcendent, and it's an example and a challenge for us this morning. Let's read these verses together. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 17. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come to you even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and our joy. What is significant in this passage is the clearly transcendent nature of these relationships. And so I, I've mentioned the word transcendent a couple times. That's going to be a big theme of what I want to, us to see this morning. But what do I mean by transcendent? Well, in a generic sense, transcendence can be used of something that surpasses the ordinary. It's, it's something that's extraordinary. So, for example, we might look at an amazing basketball player like Kevin Durant and say he has transcendent basketball ability. But more specific and more theological, the word transcendent has to do with that which is of God, beyond the limitations of the material universe. And I want you just to notice some of the transcendent descriptions in these verses. Paul calls the Thessalonians brothers. In other words, their relationship transcends blood. He indicates that Satan sought to hinder their reunion, and that is an opposition that transcends the physical realm. And then he also points to Jesus' second coming, demonstrating that relationships can transcend and should transcend this world. And so, believers, this morning, can I encourage you that we are made for relationship, but not the relationships that the world has to offer. And, and as we look at the example of the Apostle Paul, I want us to be intentional about creating trans, uh, transcendent relationships. And so we just asked the question this morning, how can we have the kinds of relationships that God has made us for? I think all of us, and so just at the very beginning, when we think about relationships, 
Some of you out here are more relationally wired than others. Some of you in here might see yourself as a, as a loner and that's what you prefer or you're a little bit of an introvert and, and that's how you prefer things. But, but we are created. Even in, our, in the midst of our various personality types, we are created for something that is bigger than this world, for relationships that are beyond what this world can offer us. And so we want to examine this along three lines this morning. First of all, as we pursue and are intentional about relationships, we need to reject excuses to transcendent relationships. In verse 17, there are three implied excuses against these kinds of valuable, intentional relationships. Excuse number one is that our only true relationships are family. And so you'll hear people say things like this. They'll say, it's all about family. Or they'll make statements like, blood is thicker than water. And by that, they mean that no other relationships can come close to the relationships that we have in our family. And that's great and wonderful if we've got a wonderful family to belong to. But that's not always the case. And if you understand what was happening in the first century, people trusted Christ in spite of the opposition of their family and oftentimes were rejected by their own flesh and blood. So truly, blood is thicker than water. That's a truism. But you know what's thicker than blood? It's the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul says, we brethren. That is a little bit of a cliche for us. We call each other's brothers and sisters, and that's a wonderful thing. But it kind of has become a little bit meaningless. You know where Paul got the concept of calling people he wasn't related to by blood brothers? Jesus in Matthew chapter 12 And there was an instance where people were talking to him and his mother and his brethren came to talk to him and somebody said, hey, Jesus, your mom and your brothers have come to talk to you. And and he answered and said unto him that told him, he says, who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand and gestured towards his disciples and he said, behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. And so the first excuse is is that you can't have truly deep relationships outside of our flesh and blood. Excuse number two is that, well, I don't have time to, to develop truly close relationships. Maybe you feel that way about Maranatha. I'm only here for a few years, and in the grand scheme of things, I can make some friends, and I can have some fun, but are these really relationships that can be, can be bigger than just my Maranatha years? When Paul and his ministry team arrived in Thessalonica, the book of Acts tells us that for three consecutive Sabbath days, Paul was in the synagogue preaching the gospel to the Jews that were there. Most commentaries and commentators believe that he was there longer than three weeks. But as people started to come to Christ, the opposition from the, Jew, from the Jewish leaders began to get stronger until they threw them out of Thessalonica. And, and so even though it was longer probably than three weeks, most commentators would suggest that it was not longer than three months. So in a very short period of time, Paul formed relationships with these dear saints in Thessalonica. 
And, and, and now he is being taken away. And in verse 7, he says, we were taken away from you. And he uses a word that means to be orphaned. It is an incredibly emotional word. For just a matter of mere months, we were around you, laboring amongst you, investing in you. Then we were ripped away from you, and it felt like we were orphaned from you. There's deep affection, there is deep love, and there is a deep sense of loss from the distance that now exists. And so, any kind of excuse that we don't have time is just simply that, it's an excuse. There's another potential excuse that most relationships we think won't last, or, or perhaps you've even said this in your own heart. People that are closest to me will only abandon me. They're not going to really be there for me, and we isolate ourselves to protect ourselves from being hurt like that. In this section of, 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 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul appears to be answering a criticism that was leveled by false teachers. That, that basically, so here's the, the Thessalonians. Paul and his ministry team were chased out of town, but the persecution didn't stop. It continued, and the false teachers came on the scene, and they said, hey, where's Paul? I thought he loved you guys. How come you're suffering by yourself? How come you are all alone? Where's this great father in the faith? He's nowhere to be found. And they did that to, to try to gather people to themselves as their own followers, but it was a very hurtful accusation. But Paul reassures them in verse 17 of his love by saying that he endeavored with great desire. That is a word that, is, that means passion. It can often be used in a negative sense of lust. And, and Paul was saying, I had a deep passion to be with you. I endeavored over and over to come see you. And, and, and then... Even then, ultimately, distance was not insurmountable for the Christian. I want you to notice he assures them that they were only separated in presence, but not in heart. So, so Paul was not physically with them, but he was with them in heart. And he prayed for them, and he sent letters to them, and he supported them, and his heart longed for them, and he said, yes, my bodily presence would be ideal, but in absence of that, it doesn't mean that our relationship ceases to exist. And he, and he shared with them something so much deeper. And so maybe these excuses have been a part of your thinking, oh, I don't think I could have relationships like this, and this sounds a little bit too deep and a little bit too uncomfortable, a little bit too scary, or whatever the excuse may be. But you know who is a fan of these excuses? You know who wants you to, to grab an excuse and, and to not invest yourself in these kind of deep Christian relationships? The enemy, Satan. Look at verse 18. He says, wherefore, Paul says, wherefore we would have come to you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. The word hindered, is a military word that means to cut into something. It speaks of cutting off supply lines, cutting off travel routes, making it impossible for, for one group to be connected to the other group. Satan did that. I'm going to give you, I think it's obvious, and I think it's universal, a little bit of a paradigm for how to choose what is good for your own life. If there is something that Satan is for, 
it's safe to say we should be against it. And if there's something that Satan is against, you can be assured that it is something that God desires to be a part of your life. And so Satan was attempting, even successfully, to keep Paul from these kinds of relationships, and he wants to keep us from these kinds of meaningful relationships as well. So first, reject excuses to transcendent relationships, but also, from verse 19, consider the reward for transcendent relationships. If I were to ask you this morning, what do you anticipate in in your life from, you know, in all your life, from the beginning all the way, you know, dot, 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 what do you anticipate being the greatest day of your existence? Some of you might be thinking, well, that's the day that I get married. Or maybe that's the day that my first child is born. Or maybe you're thinking to yourself, hey, the bar isn't quite that high. It's the day I graduate from college. (laughs) But I would submit to you that the greatest day for each one of us will be the day when each of us individually have a personal audience with Jesus. And we stand before him and he reviews our service and he rewards us And in a small way, we know that we've served him and we've brought joy and glory to his beautiful name. And at least that's what verse 19 indicates. Notice verse 19, Paul says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? So this is an incomparable future day. We will be in Christ's presence at his coming. And this is, uh, the word coming is the Greek word parousia. It is used of the return of Jesus Christ, and it can be used of a couple different aspects of the return of Christ. But, but in this aspect, it is, it is used of the fact that we will be caught up to be with Christ in the air. And then there will be a time that Scripture describes as the Bema Seat Judgment where each one of us will stand before Jesus and we will give an account of our life that has been lived for him, how we've grown and how we've invested and how we've borne fruit for the cause of Christ. Hope is a future-looking confidence. Joy expresses the finest emotional satisfaction that we can experience. And crown of rejoicing, it is referring to the Stephanos, the victor's crown. Paul is saying in the presence of Christ, you, Thessalonians, will be my reason for wearing a crown. I will rejoice about you in the presence of Jesus. When you stand before Jesus, receiving rewards and commendation from him, How does it make you feel to think that maybe somewhere in that crowd that is gathered there, somebody will be rejoicing and and viewing your accomplishments as their crown? Like, well, wait a second. That's something that I worked for. That should be my rejoicing. I don't want people to steal my joy. That's a human way of thinking. And, And I would suggest that that, that there is no competition, but rather mutual rejoicing. So last year, 
I had the awesome privilege of, of coaching both of my sons on the high school basketball team. Brad was a senior, Grant was a freshman, and, uh, and, and we had a year that, that was a, a time of growth and opportunity, and, and things started to click, and we were playing our best ball towards the end of the season, and, and, uh, and then we had, we had the, the, the final end-of-year tournament. We were in the semifinal game, and, and it was a very tight match from the beginning all the way to the last minute. And in the last minute of the game, we were up by two points, and the other team fouled Brad. Now, you would have had to follow his basketball journey to know what a nervous thing that was. But, but here's, here's Brad, and, and we had worked on free throws, and we had worked on these scenarios, and I had tried to create pressure scenarios in practice, and, and then after practice, Brad would actually work on his free throws, and, and I would give him some pointers, and he would shoot, and I would rebound, and, and now we're literally in this moment where Brad is standing at the free throw line. If he makes one free throw, the other team has an opportunity to tie the game. If he makes two free throws, the game is over, and we are assured of victory. And so literally in this moment, our season is on the line. And Brad steps to the free throw line, and he sinks both of them. And the crowd goes wild, and our team goes wild, and I go the wildest. <laughs> all the effort we put in, and all of the time we put in that season... That was probably my single favorite moment. That's my son. That's, that's what I was a little part of helping him to accomplish. I was so proud in that moment. But I want to point out that your reward isn't just about what they've done. I want you to notice what Paul says the reward is. He says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing are not even ye. It's not what you've done, Thessalonians. It's you that makes me rejoice. This is about a person who has lived a life for Christ. And so here's another person standing before Jesus. And Paul says, I had a part. I had a part in that. That's my son in the faith. That's a person who faithfully served my Jesus. That's a person that God gave me a connection with to, in a small way, help them on their journey to Christ-likeness. So if I were to ask you this morning, who is your hope or joy or crown of rejoicing before Christ? Who are you investing in this morning what kind of transcendent relationships are we pursuing? And transcendent relationships are simply those that, that we prioritize investing in another person's soul. Well, wait a second, does that mean that we can't get together and play some video games or get together and enjoy these, these other things like Frisbee or whatever the case may be? No, but I am saying this, that transcendent relationships are not just about those things. There's more to it. There's more intentionality. So who are you investing in? Who are you praying for? I, I don't have time to walk through chapter 1, but in chapter 1, Paul kind of walks through the, the relationship he has with these believers, and he indicates that he was praying for them consistently. 
He indicates that he was the one that brought the gospel to them. He indicates that he was a faithful example before them, and they were following his example. He indicates that he gave them the word of God, and they grew as a result of that. So how can you and I pursue relationships today that transcend this world? And I would just encourage you to think about the relationships that you already have. Relationships in your friend group, relationships with your family, relationships in your dorm, relationships on your sports teams. And understand that those are opportunities for this. And it's, it's not about, here's, here's the better friend and here's the lesser friend, and it's all about me just being superior. It's about investing in each other. Everyone in my extended family is on my prayer list. Parents, siblings, in-laws, nieces, nephews, I pray for their growth and fruitfulness. If they're not saved yet, I pray for their salvation. I wasn't going to say anything about this today, but I've I've got a nephew here, David, and uh, right down here in front, and I prayed for David for years. Like, I, I prayed for you to get saved when you were a baby. And, and just on from there. And so, so David is saved, and, and he's going to stand before Christ, and I rejoice in that. You're like, well, that's just a, you're just praying for a nephew. You're, yeah, that's, that's what we're talking about. And, and so we, we think about these things. I, I remember that, uh, that in our home, my dad used to always quote 3 John 4 about his boys, He said, I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in truth. And I thought to myself, even at a young age, I'm like, Dad, that's John not writing about his own kids, but writing about his children in the faith. And then I realized later on that that that's how my dad saw us. We're more than just his flesh and blood. We are his his evangelistic opportunity. We are his discipleship opportunity. And he was investing in us, not just as his children, but as his children in the faith. There's nobody on this earth, I believe, that when I get to heaven will be able to rejoice more on my behalf about the growth I've experienced and the fruit I've borne for Christ than my wife. She invests in me. She prays for me. She prays hard for me. And she encourages me and she challenges me. Our church is full of these relationships, big and small. And so it's not about doing great things for God. It's about engaging and being intentional and finding individuals and praying for them. If, you're, if, if a group, if your children's group at church has five children, pray for more to come and be a part of what God is doing in their life. And so reject excuses to transcendent relationships. Consider the reward for transcendent relationships. And my third point is just one very simple thing. Receive the gift of transcendent relationships. I am certain that this kind of intentionality sounds as if it might suck all the joy from your friendships. But just remember this. We've been created for relationship. Pursuing relationships the world does, it brings us temporary, superficial enjoyment. But there's always going to be something missing. And verse 20 tells us what that is. 
Paul says, for ye are our glory and our joy. Paul steps back for a moment from future hope, and he highlights the present tense blessing of Christian relationships. Our glory means our reason for boasting in Christ. In other words, I'm not boasting about what I've done. I'm boasting about what God has done, and I am so thankful that I could be a part of that. And by the way, I, I, I wonder every once in a while, and I hear it every once in a while, people you know, might be like, oh, well, Dr. Brock, I'm too, I know you're too busy to, bar, uh, to bother you with my problems. And I think to myself, I would love to be investing in a way that would make an impact on eternity. And I believe all of the faculty and staff here have the same mindset. We would love to help you on your journey of growth. But as much as I can do in the classroom and the pulpit and in personal mentorship of students, you can do a hundredfold more in the manifold relationships that you have. Our glory is boasting in Christ and our joy is the present tense, truest emotional and spiritual satisfaction we can attain in this life. And so believers, when our relationships are about something bigger than the moment, something bigger than this world, they're not just about heaven. They're about redeeming a slice of this world and your life will gain greater purpose and your soul will be glad. So can I encourage you to be intentional about creating transcendent relationships? Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he tore down the middle partition that separated us not just from our Father, but separated us from each other. And I pray today that you would just, in this brief challenge, that you would give us a sense of the opportunity that we have to have redeemed purpose on this life as it relates to other people that you have put us in contact with. That we would be intentional about relationships, that we would, that we would pray, that we would invest, that we would encourage that we would be the example that we need to be and that we might be thinking about the future and how we desire to rejoice at what you are doing in the people around us for your glory. We commit this to you in Christ's precious name. Amen.